I want you to imagine you're at home, it's a quiet night in your neighborhood, and suddenly you hear this screaming in the streets, and you look outside, and the whole neighborhood is on fire. Houses are on fire, cars are on fire, trees are lit up, and people are running around the streets screaming and running for the hills. Now imagine if your response to seeing all this chaos is not to run, but to cover your house in lighter fluid. Well, that's the situation that Zephaniah faces in chapter 3, when God's judgment consumes all the nations surrounding Jerusalem as a foretaste of the judgment that is going to happen to Jerusalem. And to paraphrase John Calvin's commentary on Zephaniah 3, only an idiot stays asleep when the house next to him is on fire. But Jerusalem has chosen to stay asleep. And not only have they chosen to stay asleep to God's judgment, they're actually doubling down on their sin. They don't take it as a warning to repent, but as further license to turn away from the Lord. And our series on Zephaniah ends with an honest and tragic look at human evil and depravity, but also a powerful, hopeful message of God's redemption. This is Understanding Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 3 concludes the book of Zephaniah with a woe of judgment that ends in a song of praise. In verses 1 to 2, God curses his own people and does not mention her by name, which is an indication that Jerusalem has become indistinguishable from the pagan nations that surround her. She is rebellious. She is defiled and oppressive. She refuses the voice of the prophets and the law of God, and as a result, does not trust in the Lord, nor draw near to him. And this is all the setup for Zephaniah 3. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave nothing till the morning. Her prophets are fickle, treacherous men. Her priests profane what is holy. They do violence to the law. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail. But the unjust knows no shame. I have cut off nations. Their battlements are in ruins. I have laid waste their streets so that no one walks in them. Their cities have been made desolate, without a man, without an inhabitant. And I said, surely you will fear me. You will accept correction. Then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I've appointed against you. But all the more they were eager to make all their deeds corrupt. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey. For my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger. For in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. On that day, you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. 
but I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel, they shall do no injustice and speak no lies, nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue, for they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival, so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcasts, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in at the time when I gather you together, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Zephaniah 3 shows us that Judah's sin has trickled down from the top. Government officials and judges are predators rather than protectors. The prophets are speaking lies rather than the truth. And priests are profaning the holy rather than guarding the holy. But in contrast to all this wickedness and this shifting of opinion, the Lord remains in the midst of Jerusalem, perfectly righteous. Jerusalem's ignorance of God results in a failure to heed his warnings about judgment. And we see in verses 6 through 8, God lays out his resume. He has cut off nations. He has destroyed them in judgment. He has uh, flattened their cities and laid them to waste. Surely Jerusalem has got to get the hint, right? If God's going to judge the nations around them for this sin, why do they think they're going to be exempt? Unfortunately, Jerusalem doesn't get the hint. In fact, they double down on their sin. It says in verse 7, all the more they were eager to make all their deeds corrupt. So this is a bad situation for Judah and its capital, Jerusalem. Now, Zephaniah shifts from his particular focus on the judgment of Jerusalem to the future judgment of the nations, of, of the whole world. And God says something interesting. He says to his people, wait for me. Wait for me to act in judgment against the whole world, to pour out my wrath for their sin. But this wrath is described as a purifying fire rather than a destructive fire. So God is going to change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech. That's his promise. And this is an allusion to the Tower of Babel. In the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, all of mankind gathers together with a common language to build a tower to exert uh, their supremacy over the world and to really shake their fist at God. And God, as a judgment, scrambles their language and destroys the Tower of Babel. Here, there's a reversal of that judgment when all the people will be united once again in a pure speech, not a speech used against the glory of God, but used to worship God. The nations will be unified in service and worship, even those beyond the Cush, which is a, a representative or a symbol of the edges of the known world. 
Now, God's judgment is not just a reference to the final judgment of souls. Sometimes we get confused with that. His judgments in the Old Testament especially refer to his acts of judgment and destruction within human history. So uh, a nation invading another nation could be an act of judgment. A plague sweeping through could be an act of judgment. The end of a family line can be an act of judgment. That doesn't necessarily tell us about the eternal uh, future of their souls, but it's a temporal judgment within history. Now, when God judges his people in this respect as temporal uh, historical judgments in real space and time, it's an act of discipline meant to purify them of their sin. All right, so don't think eternal judgment that God is condemning all these people to hell, but rather he is bringing upon them real terrifying consequences in order to purify them from their sin. And God says that he's going to bring destruction as a purifying fire upon Israel, and the result is the removal of the proud and the preservation of the humble and lowly. The meek, those are the people that inherit uh, the, the salvation that comes after judgment. And we can hear echoes of Jesus' Beatitudes. It's the humble, faithful, and obedient that inherit God's kingdom of security, peace, and prosperity. That's the new Jerusalem. And those people inherit the new Jerusalem rather than the predatory officials and lying prophets and wicked priests of the old Jerusalem. God's purifying fire is going to remove the dross and the impurities of God's people so that the pure people are reflecting his glorious, righteous character, so that the pure people left over will be the true remnant, the true people of God. So it's a purifying judgment. And this calls for celebration. God, after his purifying judgment, will take away guilt and destroy the enemies of Israel. And Israel will once again have a king in their midst, and this king will be the Lord himself, and he will protect them. They will no longer have to fear. And this is the amazing part. The Lord not only is going to protect his people once again and restore their fortunes, but Zephaniah says that the Lord will again rejoice in his people. He's going to sing over his people. He's going to be filled with joy at those who are redeemed. And the shame of those who have suffered will be turned into praise. God will lift up his people who humble themselves, and he will regather them from the ends of the earth and restore their fortunes. This is an amazing picture of judgment uh, leading to salvation. And we can see this in the cross. I mean, it's the judgment of the cross on Christ that leads to the resurrection and the vindication of Christ. That's the pattern. Death and resurrection. Judgment and salvation. And we see that pattern here in Zephaniah. Now, after Zephaniah's ministry, Babylon destroys Jerusalem levels the temple, and takes the nation into exile, leaving only a few stragglers behind. Now, if you're in exile, or you're heading there, like Daniel is, you might be thinking, Zephaniah, what happened to those promises of glory and restoration and protection? It seems like all of those promises are falling flat right about now. But Zephaniah's words remain true. There is hope after the judgment and beyond exile that Babylon destroying Jerusalem is not the end of Israel. It's not the end of God's people. There's a future beyond Babylon and even beyond rebuilding the temple and even beyond reclaiming the land. It's a future when the thing that Israel needs the most, the presence of God, returns in a powerful and glorious new way. 
in the form of Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and the Spirit of God who indwells His people. This is the presence of God coming back to His people, showing that the exile is over, that the hope that was promised generations ago has come to pass in Jesus Christ, and that God will regather His people, not just those who are ethnically Jewish who believe, but people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, that all the nations will speak with purified speech, the speech of worship, that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God's work is not done. There is a new covenant. There is a kingdom that is being birthed into this world through the work of Christ and the Spirit according to the plan of the Father. And Zephaniah is seeing this. He's saying, look, there's something bigger than Jerusalem something bigger than Israel, something bigger than just exile in a foreign nation and coming back and repossessing a land. God is after the redemption of all creation and the redemption of all different kinds of people. But the people that God is seeking and the people that he's trying to make are people who are not proud and arrogant, but lowly and humble, who have eyes of faith. They are the small people in this world doing the small things in this world. And it is the meek that inherit the earth. And in the church, as Christians, we can take part in that future kingdom in the present as we live that way, as we live our lives waiting for the redemption of all things, as we live our lives humble, lowly, trusting in the Lord. We can know that whatever suffering comes, whatever judgments God has for the church or for our nation or for the world, that we will walk through it and we will be purified, and God will be good and faithful to all his promises to those who wait on him.